So I remember reading about a fascinating study uh, survey uh, that was done um, a number of years ago of 95-year-olds. And these 95-year-olds were asked, if you could live your life over again, what would you do differently? Fascinating question. And while there were a number of variety of answers, one of the most frequently stated responses was if they could live their life over again, they would do more things that would live on after they died. See, none of them said, I wish I would have worked more hours. I wish I would have won more sales awards. No, they, they, were, they were not longing for greater levels of success. At the end of their life, what they were longing for was significance. See, we all want to know that our lives matter. This is a universal longing in our hearts, not just when we're older. I, I saw a Gallup poll, it was recently done, among millennials. 87% of millennials agreed that they look for work that fuels their sense of purpose and makes them feel important. All of us want to live a life of significance. We want to know that our lives matter. So how is that determined? What is it that determines our experience of significance? Well, in Luke chapter 19, Jesus tells us a parable that helps us <coughs> excuse me, process and answer that question for our own lives. So if you have your Bible or Bible app, feel free to turn to uh, Luke chapter 19. We're in the midst of a verse-by-verse -verse study of the book of Luke. And um, by the way, greetings to our West Campus and those of you at our Traditions venue. We are one church that meets in multiple locations and we're looking together at God's word to see what he might want to say to us as we respond to him. Okay, so again, this question, how do we experience greater levels of significance in our lives. Now, there are a lot of ways that people answer this question, but if you want to know Jesus' answer to this question, you got to realize that his answer will be focused in on one particular reality. It's what he calls, he called the kingdom of God. Throughout his teaching, Jesus repeatedly taught us about the kingdom of God. He invited us and he urged us to live our lives as people of his kingdom. In other words, to live our lives in light of the reality of God's lordship and his rule. That's where we find significance, according to Jesus. It's in aligning our lives with his values and his priorities and his heartbeat. <clears throat> so what does it look like to do that? Well, that's what he shows us in this passage, in this parable he tells. So verse 11, we'll begin here. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable. Because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. Okay, so notice the scenario here. Um, this, this nobleman <coughs> travels to a distant country to be appointed king of this region. And this actually happened a couple of times during that time period. So the people there, would, were, they were familiar with this kind of concept. But Jesus applies this scenario to his own situation. He, Jesus, is the man of noble birth who is going away to a distant country, i.e. heaven, after his crucifixion and resurrection. And there 
He is going, Jesus is going to be appointed king. And one day in the future, he will return as king. But that day isn't here yet. It's not going to happen in a few weeks when he arrives in Jerusalem. It's going to be delayed. His return as king may take a long time. So what does he want his servants to be doing while he is away? It's clear in this passage that he wants them to continue his kingdom influence while he's gone. That's why he entrusts his servants with some of his resources. He wants us to participate in his kingdom while he is away. So what exactly is this kingdom influence that Jesus is interested in advancing? I, I know for some people, this whole thought of the kingdom of God, <clears throat> that sounds kind of oppressive. It sounds very political, but, but it's not. See, the kingdom that Jesus demonstrated and taught us about is a kingdom that represents the amazing heart of God. It's a kingdom that brings wholeness and healing to people. It's a kingdom that values integrity and humility and sacrifice. It's a kingdom where radical love is demonstrated and people are seen and they are valued and they are blessed. I mean, the kingdom of God is this creative expression of the life of God in us and around us. See, that's the kingdom that this king, Jesus, once expanded while he is gone. I mean, what an amazing invitation Jesus gives to us to be a part of a movement like that to be an active part of this restorative, loving, healing influence of Jesus in our society. I mean, that is Jesus' invitation to every one of his followers. But he also makes it clear in this story that there are going to be a group of people who do not want to be a part of this. They do not want his influence as king. So look at the next verse. But his subjects hated him. And sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. So who are these people? Who are these subjects? The word subject there, it means citizens. It means inhabitants. These are people who live in his region, but they don't want him to be their king. And honestly, this describes uh, how a lot of people today choose to live their lives. They don't want Jesus to be their king. They don't want him to call the shots. They want to be king of their own lives. They want to be king of their own domain. They want to control their resources for their own purposes, their own consumption, their own comfort, their own pleasure, all of that. This is how a lot of people live their lives. But Jesus makes it very clear that this kind of life will not lead to significance. Success maybe in a worldly definition, but not significance. Jesus once said, what does it profit a person? What does it profit a person to gain the whole world and yet lose their soul? See, that's a really important question. What does it profit a person if they live as king of their own domain and they achieve all of this stuff, but they actually lose their soul in the process? From Jesus' perspective, significance is a soul issue, which means it's found in aligning our lives with God, with the creator 
of our soul. <clears throat> so later in this parable, you could look at this later, but in verse 27, the king basically dispenses with these people who rejected him as king. He calls them enemies. See, this is the tragic end of a life in which we, in which we reject Jesus as king. What, what, what happens is we miss out on true significance. We miss out on the life and the meaning that Jesus invites us to experience. Okay, so back to our initial question. How do we then find significance? Well, that's what Jesus describes in this passage. And I, here's the way I would summarize the, what he describes as we're going to see. True significance is found in joyfully and faithfully serving our king, expanding Jesus' influence and heartbeat wherever we can. See, true significance is found in joyfully and faithfully serving our king, expanding Jesus' influence and heartbeat wherever we can. So Jesus describes this truth in a fascinating way. He talks about how this king, before he leaves, gives to each one of his servants a mina. Now, these servants are not a part of the group we talked about a moment ago, the subjects and all that, who rejected him as king. No, no, no. This is a group of people, the word used here, servant, this is a group that they are voluntarily on board with the king. They have voluntarily surrendered their lives to him to serve him. How? By furthering his kingdom while he is gone. So the king gives each one of these servants some of his own resources. Now, the word used in this story is the word mina. A mina was an amount of money that represented about three to four months wages. It, it was not a small amount of money. <clears throat> and he tells his servants, put this money to work until I come back. It's his money, his resources that he is entrusting to them to use to further his influence while he is gone. Now, let me just acknowledge that I think this is where this parable, at least for me and I think for many people, this is where this parable often takes an unfortunate turn in how we apply it to our lives. Because here, here's kind of the basic idea that I was taught and kind of had. The basic idea seems to be, <clears throat> God has entrusted you with resources, so you better use them or else. You know, it's kind of this guilt, has this guilt motivation thing going on. But I think that that attitude, that approach to this parable misses the heart of the parable. Because this parable is not about guilt and obligation. It is about joy. It is about joy. This parable is this amazing invitation to creatively leverage the things that God has given to us in order to further his influence in the world. I mean, this parable is celebrating entrepreneurship and creativity. It is. I mean, look at what happens in this story. Verse 15, he was made king, however, and he returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, sir, your mina has earned 10 more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied, because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of 10 cities. 
The second came and said, sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, you take charge of five cities. See, this is so cool. Here are these two servants who have taken the mina that was entrusted to them and they multiplied it big time, right? One turned it into 10 times the value. The other turned it into five times the value return. And I want you to notice something here. The king, this is really important. The king does not specifically, specifically control how the minas are used. He doesn't give them a list. Here's your mina. Now here's your list. I want you to take 20% of that. And I want you to invest over here. And I want you to take 15% of that. I'm going to do it here. And I want you to take 33% of that. And I want you to do this with it. No, no, he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. Why? Because he trusts his servants to figure it out. He wants them to leverage their unique gifts and abilities and passions and context and experiences, et cetera. He wants them to leverage that to multiply the influence of his kingdom. See, this is not about the king controlling us. No, no, no. <clears throat> this is about the king trusting us. This is about the king trusting us and saying, you figure it out. You figure it out. I'm giving you these resources. Now use them however you want to use them to further my kingdom. Be creative. Be unique. Be resourceful. Be wise. Be bold. Take risks. Do what you do based upon who I've created you to be, but multiply my kingdom. Multiply my kingdom. That's what I want. Now the amount that he gives to each servant is the same. It's one mina, which tells us something very important. Every one of us has these. Every one of us has gifts, resources. Everyone, no, no one is excluded. Every one of us has been entrusted resources. And this is not about comparison. It's not about jealousy. Every one of us gets these certain resources from our king. And then he says, go for it. Go for it. Go create Go give, go influence, go multiply, go serve, go, go, go love people and do it in a way that honors me. Multiply my heartbeat of love. See, this is where the fun begins. I mean, think about it. This is where the fun begins. This isn't a, a micromanaging employer who is, you know, telling us what to do and, that, you know, we have to micromanage everything, you know, doesn't trust us. That's not what's going on here. This is where the fun begins, because what it means is it's, it's each one of us then taking an inventory of what God has entrusted to us and then thinking about those resources through this kingdom lens. And this is fun to do. We think about these resources through this kingdom lens. How can I leverage this for Jesus' sake? How, how can I influence others for Jesus' sake? How can I use this gift or this experience that I've had or this platform or whatever that he has given me to further the love of Jesus? See, it's in looking at our whole life through this lens. <clears throat> now, I want to share a real-life example <coughs> of an ordinary guy who has approached his life this way. His name is Alan Barnhart. He became a Christ follower when he was in college and he was majoring in engineering and all of his friends, all of his Christian friends were telling him, you need to go to seminary to be in full-time ministry. Um, but, but, but he, as he thought and as he prayed about it, he realized ministry can happen in any context. 
Not just in church and all that stuff. It can happen in any context. God has given me these engineering abilities to use for his glory. That was his attitude. So when he was 25 years old, he and his brother ended up taking over the family business, which was a small company at that time, just 10 employees, small company, and the company actually moved large things with cranes and stuff. That was what they did. They just moved really, really large items. So when they took it over, he and his brother knew they wanted to establish a company that reflected kingdom values. They knew that from the, from the get-go. So for them, that meant a couple of things. First of all, it meant that they wanted to do good work. They realized by doing good work, honored Christ. And so they wanted, whatever they did, they wanted to do a good job whenever someone hired them to do this, okay? Secondly, they also wanted to provide a Christian witness whenever possible. That included for their employees and for their vendors and all of that, just to be a Christian witness. But there was one other aspect of how they ran their company that they viewed through this kingdom lens. And I want you to watch Alan tell a little bit of his story as he describes this aspect of, of his kingdom perspective. Do, but the more we prayed, the more we decided we would end up staying in Memphis and, and trying to start a business. But because I had, had read all those scriptures and had that fear, we said, before we're going to start this business, we're going to put some safeguards in our life. And so we put in three or four safeguards. The first thing we said is that I was starting this with my brother and his wife, and this, the four of us got together and we said, first, this is God's company. God owns this company. It's not ours. We all agree. Second, we're going we're gonna to set for ourselves a lifestyle finish line. We're going to pray and ask God what kind of lifestyle he wants us to, to have. And then we're going to cap that. And if God chooses to prosper our business, we're not going to do what comes naturally, which is to ramp up our lifestyle. Instead, we're going to see it as an opportunity to take these, these funds that are, that are coming in and use them uh, to advance the kingdom rather than to advance our lifestyle. So we've set that cap. And the third thing we did is we built some accountability into our life. Um, it's easy to make a, a, a decision like that. It's hard to stay with it over the long haul. And, uh, and particularly in this area of money, um, your church may be different than mine, but if I were to, if I were to sin openly at my church in some areas, um, if, I were to, if I were to come in bragging about cheating on my wife or bragging about doing drugs, there, there are brothers in Christ who would come and rebuke me and would help me uh, repent and get back on a better track. But, but if I were to sin in this area of money, if I were to take more of what God uh, has given me and, and consume more of it on myself than I should, no one in my church would rebuke me. I'm afraid they would actually congratulate me for what, for what I've done. And so there's not a great amount of accountability. So we knew that we needed to build some in. And we did that by, by really telling some other people in our business about what our commitment was, some of the other people that worked there. And we said, the fruits of your labor will not go toward increasing my lifestyle they will go to, um, to helping other people and to uh, advancing the kingdom. And we want you to hold us into account for that. Um, so now we, we were ready to start our business. We had set these guidelines in place or these safeguards in place, and we started our company. Um, it was very small, again, just uh, 10 guys in Memphis, and we didn't know if we would even survive the first year because it was a mom-and-pop business, and mom-and-pop were leaving. And, uh, and we, but the first year, we actually made some money. And uh, we were so excited. We were able to 
uh, we had $50,000 extra money that we were able to give away. And we got to, we, one of the other things we said on the front end is we, if we did have any money to, to invest, we're going to do it as a group. And so it started out, there were six of us that got together and prayed and said, God, what do you want us to do with this money that you have generated? And we took it and we gave it away. And the next year, the company grew some more. And I think we had $150,000. And, and each year, the company just continued to grow. And it grew about 25% a year for the next 23 years. And for you math guys, that means it was 100 times bigger than it had been. And went from a very small company in Memphis to a company that works all over the U.S. and has about 1,000 employees. And, uh, and, and our ability to give greatly ramped up. I mean, we got to the place in the early 2000s where we, were, we, had, a, we had a million dollars a year to invest in the kingdom. And, and we had a much bigger group now trying to help us figure out how to do that and praying and saying, God, what do you want us to do? And uh, in 2004, one of our guys said, we ought to set a goal. He's a salesman. Yeah, salesmen are. We ought to set a goal to, give, to, to be able to invest a million dollars a month into the kingdom. And we thought, yeah, yeah okay, whatever. And, uh, but the next year, our industry just started booming. 2005 to 2008 were great years in our industry. And, and we went from a $50 million company to a $250 million company during that four-year period. And, uh, and throughout that period and ever since, we've been able to invest over a over million dollars a month into the kingdom. That, that is just a great example of what can happen when someone decides to view their life through a kingdom lens. Now, don't get hung up on the numbers. Don't, oh, that guy is so far out. You can't even relate. Don't, don't get hung up with the numbers. The, the story isn't about the numbers as much as it is about what God can do with a 25-year-old who decides to creatively leverage his resources. This isn't about guilt or obligation. This is about creatively and joyfully looking at our resources through a kingdom lens and trying to figure out ways we can further the influence and further extend the influence of Jesus. Now, now notice this is not the, the necessarily the easiest path. These guys, if you heard what he said there, they decided to cap their salary at the get-go. They decided to cap their salary at a middle-class level, and they stuck to that. They were never going to increase their salary no matter what their business did. We can live on this. We're just going to live on this. So they just made that decision when they could have easily increased their income tenfold or more. They didn't do that. So that wasn't easy for them. Wasn't easy, but it was absolutely worth it. There's another place in his story where he says this. Barnhart says, kingdom investing is so much more fulfilling than consumption. Kingdom investing is so much more fulfilling than Consumption. There is incredible joy in living this way because we know we're investing in things that matter. As many of you know, during the month of April, we mentioned to our church, we mentioned to you all this financial need. The Courage Home in India is a ministry that helps and helps girls get out of sex trafficking and then heal from the horrible practice. And, 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 and this Courage Home wanted to buy some property to expand their ministry. They had a matching gift, so they needed about $30,000 to do this. And I just got the numbers this, just a few days ago. I got the numbers of what you guys had donated during the month of April. <clears throat> you all gave $31,765 for this, which is awesome. <laughs> So, so they are able to now purchase this property. Folks, this is just fun. 
right? I mean, this is just fun. God invites us to creatively leverage the financial resources he's given us to extend his kingdom. But this goes beyond just money. It goes beyond money. This mina concept represents any resource that he has given to us that can be leveraged for his kingdom. If you're a nurse or a teacher, or a waiter, or a salesperson? Are you serving with a kingdom mindset and heartbeat? If you own a business, are you creating a culture of honor and integrity? See, what, whatever you do, if, you, if you're working, whatever you do vocationally, do you see that through a kingdom lens as a way to bless people and help other people? Another resource to consider is time. Our time is a resource God has given to each one of us. We all have the same amount of minutes and hours that we are given every week. And what about our abilities, our talents, our spiritual gifts? Are we looking for ways to use these resources to further his kingdom? I mean, this whole question, this whole question totally changes how we view our retirement years. Totally changes. I mean, so many retirees enter into retirement with this attitude, I've done my time. You know, let someone else do it now. It's someone else's turn. But what if you viewed your time and your money and resources through this kingdom lens? I mean, often retirees have more discretionary time and money than any other time in their life. And they have more experience and more wisdom than any other time in their life as well. What would it look like to view this season of retirement through this kingdom lens? Not, not through guilt and obligation, no, but through this, this kingdom lens, this joyful excitement. God, how can I leverage the resources you've entrusted me to further extend your kingdom? That's the question, no matter what season we're in, that's the question that all of us can be asking. And, and, and not only further the, the kingdom, but we get blessed as well in this process. When we're living this way, we get blessed. <clears throat> Our son Joshua attends um, the special friends Sunday school class that we have here at Christ Community on Sundays at 11 um, for people with special needs he loves it. So last Sunday uh, morning, I was doing some stuff around here, and I saw in the hallway Curtis, um, who helps lead this ministry, and I just said, hey, Curtis, hey, thank you for your ministry here. Thank you for your ministry. And he said to me, it's my favorite hour of the week. It's my favorite hour of the week. That, see, that's the heart of a person who is joyfully using gifts they have been given to serve and to love on other people. It is a total blast for them to do so. They love, they love it. I, I was visiting with a neighbor a few weeks ago who attends Christ Community. She was talking about how much her two-year-old grandson loves going to Tiny Tots Nursery during church. And she specifically told me about one woman who serves in that room that has made her grandson feel so special. This volunteer lights up when she sees him. And he runs over to her. He cannot wait to be in class. He can't wait to learn about Jesus. I don't even know who this volunteer is. I don't know who she is, but God does. God sees the way she is using her heart and her spiritual gifts to bless a little two-year-old who now loves Jesus because of her. 
See, God has given us this amazing invitation to joyfully and creatively use the resources he has given to us. Our heart, our passions, our experiences, even our painful experiences, our gifts, our finances, our time, our vocation. He has given us these resources to further his kingdom on earth, to love people and to bless people and to honor them and to serve them, to glorify God in how we treat people and how we live our lives. I mean, there is an incredible, there's, there's an incredible sense of joy that gets poured out when we live this way. We get to serve our king in this way. We get to multiply his influence. But that's not the only reward. I mean, look again at what Jesus tells us will be the response of the king to this kind of faithful service. <clears throat> Verse 17, well done. My good servant, his master replied, because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of 10 cities. The second came and said, sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, you take charge of five cities. I mean, this is amazing. The king sees the faithfulness of his two servants and he rewards it exponentially. I mean, when God sees our faithfulness in using the resources we have been entrusted to further his kingdom, when he sees that, he responds by blessing us exponentially, blessing us with even greater influence in this life and in the life to come. The rewards will be unbelievable in the life to come. See, this is a big deal. This is a big deal. God invites us to leverage our lives for his kingdom. Why wouldn't we want to do that? Why wouldn't we want to do that? Why wouldn't we want to seize any and every opportunity to live this way? Well, Jesus tells us there, there is one thing that will keep us from experiencing this joy. Look with me beginning in verse 20. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mina. I've kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you're a hard man. You take what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I'm a hard man? taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has 10 minas. Sir, they said, he already has 10. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. Jesus is describing this servant of his. This is one of his servants who didn't invest his mina, but instead he put it in a piece of cloth and he hid it. He didn't use the resources the king had given him to advance his kingdom. And what's fascinating to note here is why. Why didn't he invest the, the mina in kingdom activity? Well, he tells us. He was afraid of the king. 
He was afraid of the king. He perceived the king as being this ruthless man who takes what's not his and reaps where he did not sow. So in his fear, he just froze. He hid the mina and didn't do anything with it. Now, here's what is so important to realize about what Jesus is saying. Was the king anything like this man described? No. He wasn't anything like this man described. We've already seen that the king is from noble birth. He is generous. He is joyful. He rewards other servants who serve him well. There is no indicator. There's no indication that he is anything like what the servant describes, which is so sad. It's so sad. This servant lives in fear of the king rather than in joyful surrender. And that fear, that misperception of his king, that fear of his king caused him to not leverage the resources that he had been given. He missed out on incredible joy. He missed out on incredible joy. Did did you realize, did you realize that your perception of God has a huge impact on how you live your life. Your perception of God has a huge impact on how you live your life. I know, I know from personal experience what that's like. Because for many years, I perceived God as being a harsh, demanding employer. He was a harsh, demanding employer And so I ended up, I served him, but not out of joy. It was out of this fear of failure, this fear of judgment, this fear of failure. And I I now realize I missed out on so much. I missed out on so much because of my perception of God. See, when, when we see God for the amazing, loving king that he is, this savior who gave his life for us on the cross. When we see him that way, suddenly serving him and investing in his kingdom becomes this joyful privilege, this beautiful, creative adventure of leveraging the resources he has given to us to further his kingdom heartbeat on this earth. I mean, what, what an amazing joy. When, when we choose to invest our lives in that way, we experience true significance because we share in the joy of our Father's kingdom. But it is a choice. It is a cho- No one is going to do this for you or me. It is a choice. <clears throat> I got a note from one of our prayer people. I'd ask people just to be praying for our services this weekend. What is God saying to us? What's he want to say? And I I got a note from one of our prayer team members um, just a little while ago, actually. They'd been praying for our services. And and this person, she shared with me this picture and this word that she felt like God had given to her. And as I was thinking about it and praying about it, I thought, I think it it really fits here. I think God wants me to share this. And so the picture she saw was these heavy grapevines, heavy grapevines, this picture of abundance and fruitfulness and life. So you can kind of see that. But here's the deal. She said in the picture, no one was taking them. No one was taking them to enjoy them. No, they were just sitting there. And then she heard the Lord say, abundant life requires effort. You have to pick 
the fruit. Don't be lulled to sleep by despair, comfort, or laziness. Reach out for what I have for you. Wake up, stand up, and live. See, God is inviting us to enjoy his abundant, fruitful life. And that life is found in choosing, choosing to joyfully invest our lives in his kingdom. That's where life is found. That's the life he is inviting us to enjoy and experience. All right, let's pray together. So Holy Spirit, we invite you now to speak to our hearts from your word. So here's what I want us to do. I want to, this is all about responding right now to what the Lord is saying. So I want to, I want to invite you to ask the Lord just a couple of questions And let him speak to you. This is, about, this is between you and him. So for, here's the first question. Holy Spirit, are there places in me that need to be woken up to kingdom realities? And if so, would you do that? Lord, awaken this in us. Areas that we haven't been viewing through this kingdom lens, but they actually are resources to leverage. Would you awaken us to these kingdom realities to see our lives this way? Second question, just to ask the Lord in the quiet of your heart. Jesus, my King, Where are you inviting me to joyfully create and invest in your kingdom? Where are you inviting me to do that? Lord, would you speak to us and continue to speak to us about these resources, whether it's financial or it's spiritual gifts or it's experiences we've been through, brokenness we've experienced, all these resources that uniquely are ours. We ask you to help us view them through this lens where you want us to create and to invest in your kingdom in creative ways, God. Third question, I want to encourage you to ask the Lord right now. What am I afraid of? What am I afraid of in in living this way?
Lord, we give you our fears. And we give you our misperceptions of you. Forgive us for forgetting that you are a loving king who trusts us and who invites us to be fully who we are. It's like you're just bringing us to the playground and saying, go for it. Enjoy, create, build, invest. Just, just go for it. Lord, I pray, forgive us for not viewing you in that way, for viewing you as a harsh employer. God, would you open our eyes just to see who you really are and who we really are and that we would say yes to all the ways that you want to use us to extend your amazing kingdom on earth. We love you. We love you, our King. Use us for your glory. Use us to create and to bless and to multiply your heartbeat. Thank you, God. So we want to continue in this attitude of surrender and just worship of the Lord. We're going to just respond with some songs that have been specifically chosen to help us in our response. So why don't we stand? If you want to sit down at some point, that's totally cool. But let's just begin standing and continue this seeking of the Lord, asking these questions, just letting him speak to our hearts and express our love for him. We love you, Jesus. Set us free. Our King, set us free to worship you, Lord.